This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. ER Vet and Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Justine Lee, and I'm a board-certified emergency critical care veterinary specialist. Thanks for joining us today. Today, I'm really excited to be talking to Steve Dale of stevedalepetworld.com. Steve is a certified animal behavior consultant, and he's reached thousands, if not millions, of pet owners over the past decade. Steve, if you could go ahead and give us a little bit of background about who you are, what you do, and what your website is, that'd be fantastic. Sure. So I host uh, several radio shows about pets, and between those radio shows and my blog, which you mentioned, stevedalepetworld.com, and thank you very much for the plug, and in addition to that, television that I do and uh, magazine stories that I write and all the rest, including guesting on radio shows like yours. Yeah, I suppose I do reach. In fact, I know I have reached many millions of people. In fact, I do so every year. That's important to me because if I can't communicate with people, you know, what kind of what good is it? So I am all about communicating with pet owners, pet caretakers to help their companion animals. You work so tirelessly to help educate pet owners on all different types of disease. And the one I wanted to ask you about today is one that's obviously in the news a lot more, and that's the cat version of coronavirus or feline infectious peritonitis. Now, in a previous episode of ER Vet, I've talked about how this is different than COVID-19, but it is extremely interesting because I know you know a lot about remdesivir and was wondering if you could tell us about some of the research that actually started in feline medicine and the story about how that drug can potentially cure FIP. Yeah, so this is exciting news because when you you put two words together, that as a veterinarian or for those who have cats, you know that the word cure and feline infectious peritonitis or FIP would never go together because FIP had always been considered fatal. It mostly happens to kittens, which makes it even the more tragic. And veterinarians forever have been at a loss to even understand this disease, let alone be able to treat it. Dr. Niels Peterson, a veterinary researcher who has been instrumental in all infectious disease in cats, helping us to understand what it is and helping us to solve things like the feline immunodeficiency virus, or FIV, as well as feline leukemia back in the day, has been chasing this FIP his entire career. I happen to be on the board of the Win Feline Foundation. We fund cat health studies and have long also sought to find a solution to FIP and have funded Dr. Peterson many, many, many times over the years. Dr. Peterson came to our scientific advisory committee and said, there's this antiviral drug called remdesivir. I think this will help cats with FIP. And he explained it all to us and the scientist said, yeah, this kind of makes sense. Clinical trials were approved. And wouldn't you know it, a drug that, it wasn't remdesivir, identical though, from the same company, from Gilead, the same pharma company, a drug identical to remdesivir, which had been on the shelf there because it was really created for Ebola. And then better drugs came out for Ebola, and it's just sitting there. 
So Gilead said, okay, you can use this identical compound, and wouldn't you know it? It cures FIP. Who would ever think? So when COVID-19 happened, even though the feline infectious peritonitis from the feline coronavirus, it's all actually an immune-mediated disease caused by the feline coronavirus internally inside the cat, is certainly not a human coronavirus, which COVID-19 is, from the SARS virus. There was enough similarity where on the board, all of us said instantly when we heard about COVID-19, remdesivir in unison almost on one of those Zoom calls because we knew that the government would be looking at this and in fact they are. So interesting because I remember having multiple cat owners reach out to me saying, oh, you know, I can get remdesivir on the black market through China for FIP. And most veterinarians were really hesitant because we usually want to recommend FDA approved drugs. But now that COVID-19 has happened in the midst of this pandemic, do you think this will change our access to be able to get it in veterinary medicine at all? And how exactly does this drug work? Okay, so the story gets at, wow, this is a great soap opera. Someone ought to write a book. So it turns out this drug nearly identical to remdesivir works. As I said, these kittens with FIP that are supposed to die are living. Not for all FIP, incidentally. There are two kinds of FIP, and it seems to work much, much better. Nearly, nearly 100% for cats with the, quote, wet form of FIP. But still, this is amazing news. Then Dr. Peterson goes back to uh, Gilead and says, I want this drug. Gilead says, no, you can't have it. Turns out they were smart to say that because of everything happening right now. So what do we do in the animal health world? And this was months and months and months ago before anyone knew about COVID-19. Dr. Peterson went to Kansas State University and said, I know what's in this compound. Let's recreate it. That compound recreated works even better. And Anavive Animal Health, a pharmaceutical company in the pet world, said, we want to get FDA approval on this. Again, this is still a drug very, 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 very much like remdesivir. So they're in the process of doing that as we speak. And now Anavive just announced, you might not even know this, they just announced that this compound, they are also now working with the FDA on the human side because they think this compound, you know, the more arsenal you have, the better. And what we know about AIDS, for example, is it takes a cocktail to really work best. So maybe the same thing is true for COVID-19. So they want to know if this compound, nearly like remdesivir, can be used in conjunction with remdesivir, or maybe instead of if remdesivir is either more expensive or in short supply. So that is something that was just announced that they are looking at today as we speak. I'm actually excited because the few cases of FIP I see, by the time I see them at the ER vet, it's end stage. And sure. most of the pets are euthanized within a week. And again, I did a previous episode on ER vet. So definitely tune in to learn more about FIP. But it is so strange to even hear you say the word the four-letter word cure with FIP because we've never associated with cure. So I am actually really thankful that this drug is on everyone's radar now. And I do hope that it is readily available soon for us just because it would be so amazing to be able to have a cure with FIP. Now, just briefly, just in case people haven't checked out that previous episode, do you mind just describing some of the clinical signs and the difference between wet and dry FIP? 
Yeah, so the wet FIP or the effusive form of FIP is the belly or the abdomen often fills with fluid. It's like this little kitten has a beer belly. And it's not always kittens, by the way. It can be adult cats. It can be senior adult cats. But in most often, FIP in general most often occurs with kittens. That is the most obvious. Uh, the cats may run a fever. The cats just kind of, you guys call it, ain't doing well. Uh, that's the technical, not so technical term. I mean, here's a little kitten that should be thriving, playing, having a good time with life. And it's not. And that is also a sign of the dry FIP. The veterinarians, and I don't want to step, overstep my boundaries, I'm a behavior consultant, not a veterinarian, can look at that fluid if it is the wet form, and there are certain identifying signs. For dry FIP, it's a little more challenging because there is no absolute test for FIP, and I don't want to go into details, and beside, that's, again, a bit beyond my expertise about how dry and wet FIP are specifically diagnosed. But dry FIP, the kittens just, again, mostly kittens, just ain't doing well. They may be running a fever. They're not acting right. They may act kind of wobbly. They may have neurologic issues as well. They may have uveitis. So you look at their eyes as a cat caretaker and you say, oh, this doesn't look right. See your veterinarian about that because that is potentially, he says, a sign of a dry or non-effusive FIP as well. And I should also state now that veterinarians are open because of COVID-19, please, there is no need for you to bring your dog and cat to the vet asking for a coronavirus vaccine. The coronavirus vaccine for FIP is a totally different type. And the likelihood that you are going to get COVID-19 from your pet is extremely, extremely rare. Yes, there are few reported cases. We've talked about this previously in an episode of ER Vet, so please make sure to check that out. But there are vaccines, but they're totally different types of diseases. So again, the vaccine for coronavirus in your dog or cat is not going to protect them from COVID-19. Okay, oh, so just be aware. Yeah, of course, that's absolutely right. And the vaccine, even for feline infectious peritonitis in cats, has long been considered passe. There aren't many non-recommended. So there are three classes of vaccines, as you know. And this is actually in the non-recommended class. So very few people vaccinate. I don't know how you feel about it, but very, very few veterinarians uh, vaccinate uh, kittens for feline infectious peritonitis or FIP. It was just announced, I'll give you a bit of news actually, it was just announced today that that dog, the pug, named Winston from North Carolina that was thought to be positive for COVID-19 isn't really positive at all. You know, when it, really, when it happened over a month ago at this point, it's a household, Duke University is studying this household, they're in a, uh, a research, they're being looked at by Duke University researchers, not only the family members positive for COVID-19 that have two legs, but the four-legged family members as well, which makes sense to me, that's a good thing. But no veterinarian was involved in any of this. And when the pug, one of the two dogs in the house, and there was also a cat in the house, when the cat tested negative, great. The other dog tested negative, great. But when the dog, the pug, tested positive, it made national news. And it put a red flag up for me, Dr. Lee, because I thought, you know, no veterinarian has been involved in all this. The State Veterinary Bureau didn't even know about it when it hit the media. Uh, the American Veterinary Medical Association, the same, CDC, the same. None of those organizations knew about it. And they encouraged retesting, which happened. And finally, after many times retesting, it turns out when they looked at things more carefully that this dog 
wasn't positive. It concerned a lot of people because the dog happened to be a pug. So I heard from pug owners and French bulldog owners and bulldog owners, the brace brachiocephalic breeds all over the country saying, oh no, my dog is more susceptible. Well, no, your dog is not more susceptible in the first place. There's never been any evidence of that. And secondly, with unfortunately the 5 million people or so on the planet that have been positive for COVID-19, here is one less dog. And as far as I know, there's only two dogs that we know were positive. One, uh, both in Hong Kong, a German shepherd dog and an older Pomeranian who had other health issues. There's a dog in Belgium that might have been positive. Same thing. We still don't know that's the case. And if those are the only dogs that are positive, you know, it's, it's not a real concern, I don't believe. It's thought to be dead end in these dogs anyway, meaning that it ends there. The dogs are not going to give it to other dogs and the dogs are not going to give it back to people. Great points. And I think it is really important to always involve your veterinarian with these decisions. In the first cat that was tested positive, I believe it was just fecal samples and vomit right. samples that were submitted. It was it didn't even involve a vet. So when in doubt, please consult with your veterinarian or a medical professional. It's also important to know that the way that these PCR tests test for DNA or RNA is it doesn't mean it's a viable virus. It could be environmental. So when in doubt, consult with the CDC or your state board or your veterinarian. So great points. We'll continue with this really important topic right after these messages from our sponsors. Poor Sam was a mess, always itching, licking. His paws were soaking wet. He had bald spots on his back. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Two weeks after he started Dynavite, I started seeing great improvements. And today, 99% of his issues are non-existent. Dynavite is nutrition. Dynavite is the best thing you can do for your dog. You won't believe how happy your dog will be. I get my Dynavite from D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. Really excited to be interviewing Steve Dale, who's a certified animal behavior specialist, and you can find more information at his site, stevedalepetworld.com. We've been talking about remdesivir and FIP, and finally, how there may be a cure for this deadly disease. Now, the last thing I wanted to bring home this radio show with is separation anxiety. As states loosen their COVID-19 pandemic restrictions, we're going to see more people going back to work. And I've actually been excited to see, you know, people quarantining and walking their dogs so often. I see the same, you know, 10 neighbors walking their dogs four times a day. So I think dogs are getting a lot more activity. Do you mind just leaving us with a couple of hints on what we can do to minimize the separation anxiety and how we can prepare our pup or our cat for life after quarantine? Yeah, sure. So I think that there are three buckets of dogs that this is likely to happen to. And by the way, you know, you're a veterinarian, which means you're a scientist, which means you want guests like me to talk about research, to talk about what we've studied, what we know. Well, this has never happened before. So based on what we know about separation anxiety in dogs, this I can say, dogs who have had 
previous separation anxiety are most likely to have it again. Dogs that have been, and this is great, so many people have adopted dogs or are uh, perhaps fostering dogs and have never left that dog alone because you've been home all the time and now you're going to go. That's the second bucket of dogs that are also likely to have this problem. And the third bucket are dogs who are, well, just like me. You know, change can be difficult for a lot of us and it can be for dogs too. So here, every day it's been like this, like this, like this, and then suddenly, poof, you're gone. Some dogs will say, fine, you know, that's the way it goes. I wish they come home soon. Other dogs will, oh no, they're gone. What do I do? Even dogs who previously never had a problem. So if your dog falls into one of those three categories, which are a whole lot of dogs, the good news is if you're still home a lot or still home all the time, you can do something about it. There are things that you proactively can do right now. What can we do to make that transition easier? Should it be environmental enrichment? Should it be pharmacological intervention, which is a fancy way of saying drugs? Or are there some more holistic options we can consider? Oh, yes to all of those. First, know that you have a problem or understand if you do. So these cameras now are very inexpensive to buy. Go online, get a camera if you can. You can get one for like 30 bucks, point it at the door you leave the house from. Although some cameras, they come two or three cameras. So you could set it up all over the house maybe. Also leave if your dog is food motivated. One of your dog's favorite things to eat inside some toys or just scatter the food around. Little pieces of hot dog, I mean, little pieces of cheese. If your dog can eat all that, up the ante. I mean, something really good. If you come home after being gone, and I only want you to go for two or three minutes, and you find that what you've left is still there and not gobbled up, and or you can see on the camera, even in real time on your phone, what the dog is doing, then show your veterinarian what the dog is doing. The dog may not have separation anxiety. The dog may be having a great time barking at people walking by or tearing up the pillows just because it's fun. And you can tell the dog is having a good time rather than the dog being anxious because you are a professional, but we can't always tell that as pet parents. Thank you so much, Steve. I will say if you are worried, when in doubt, again, please talk to your veterinarian about it. There are a lot of safe drugs that we can use that are very well tested. A lot of veterinary behaviors will recommend different drugs, whether or not it's gabapentin or trazodone or different drugs like that. There's a lot of medications that you can talk to your veterinarian about that help calm your pet down. One of them is a nutraceutical called xylokine. Another one is Adaptil, uh, which is a plug-in. There's also a probiotic by Purina called Calming Care. So a lot of different options out there. Now, Steve, this topic is very controversial, but what is your opinion on the use of CBD for separation anxiety? So I get asked that question almost every single day. So it can help, maybe, we don't know. So here's the thing about CBD. The only studies, as far as I know, Dr. Lee, that have been done have to do with seizures in dogs, and it's a limited study, and it's positive. It shows it really can help. There has yet to be, as far as I know, a study done in dogs to determine if it really can help dogs with separation distress. Now, it can maybe do no harm. Speak to your veterinarian about that. But a word of warning, not all CBD products are the same. And some of these CBD products, not most of them, but some of them contain things in them that we don't want to ingest or don't want our dogs to ingest as well. So make sure 
that you get an appropriate CBD product sold at an appropriate place from a legitimate company. Great points. When in doubt, again, I think Steve and I are both harping on this. When in doubt, you can always ask your veterinarian. We want to make sure that your pet isn't showing signs of any kind of anxiety or phobias. And a lot of these are totally treatable. So when in doubt, check with your veterinarian. Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. Great information. And we really appreciate all the updates. Thank you. Pleasure to talk to you. Well, that brings us to the end of today's show. You can find Steve Dale on Facebook at Steve Dale Pet World or at his website, stevedalepetworld.com. You can find me at drjustinelee.com or on Facebook or Instagram at drjustinelee. If you have any pet questions, feel free to email me at drjustine at petliferadio.com. With that, we're out of time and we want to thank Steve Dale and Mark Winter, our producer, for making this show possible. See you at the next episode. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.